Let's move on to somewhere we are healed, somewhere we can meet each other face to face. Let's move on to somewhere brighter. Let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. Let go of guilt, let go of pity, selfish tears are never pretty. Let's heal the wound and move on. Let's move up above the heavy clouds, above the blessed rains that came to bring us truth. Let's move up and catch our rainbow. Let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. Let go of pain, let go of sorrow. Holding the past won't bring you tomorrow. Let's heal the wound and move on. I wrote that song at a very dark time. It was 2014 and I was still a student at the Star King School for the Ministry. And although I had already decided to transfer to the Pacific School of Religion where I would receive my MDiv, and I had decided that before the events surrounding the presidential search that year and the drama that surrounded it, it was still wrenching to watch so many people I knew going through so much pain over the secrets, the lies, ambitions, and the other aspects of what unfolded after the new president was selected. Without getting into the full details, what happened was there were questions about how the presidential search that resulted in Rosemary Bray McNatt, the first African-American and first woman African-American to become president of the school, had been handled. There were questions of bias and students being shut out of the process, but the real drama exploded when a whistleblower came forward with a series of private emails that had been shared among the search team that made it clear that there had been a certain amount of coordination in the process. The whistleblower, however, did not just bring this information to the immediate students, the faculty, the staff, and community concerned. Instead, they chose to broadcast this to the entire UUA, the UUMA, the accrediting board, and several national media outlets. And thus, the infamous strapped student email was born. You can Google it to get all the details. The results was that several students were accused of a coordinated effort to bring down the school, and these accusations were, of course, of course ultimately proved to be false, but they did permanent damage to the careers of the students involved and cost thousands of dollars in legal fees. There is much, much more to the story, and I've shared some links outside um, of the parlor for you to see. But for me, this week's news out of Washington, D.C., has brought back all of that in full force. So I come to you this morning wishing I could bring you a message of resounding hope, and I wish I could tell you that my heart was light and that I want nothing more than to share my lightness with you, but I can't. I have to be real. I'm disturbed by the news. 
just as I was disturbed by what I lived through in my final months at Star King School. I try hard not to overwhelm myself with media, and I have a strict self-monitoring rule about when and how much I will engage. But the little bit I have seen has been nothing but depressing. There is a part of me that is resolved to a kind of hopelessness, and I can't seem to shake it. It's as if the country, our society, nothing wants to get better. Conservatives don't want to hear anything from progressives. Democrat is the opposite of Republican. Everyone is some kind of victim or warrior for their cause, and literally no one is listening. This standoff between political and increasingly cultural perspectives is the stuff that civil wars are made of, and we should not forget that. The Civil War of the 19th century was absolutely fought over slavery, but it was fought over slavery as primarily an economic priority and not an ethical one when it should have been. The proof of that is in the failure, or rather the abandonment, of Reconstruction and the entrenchment of Jim Crow and segregation for the following hundred plus years. The Civil War that we are, yes, we are fighting, already, is one that I don't believe we have any tools to fight. It is a war that may begin with the old sickness of black versus white, indigenous versus immigrant, but it is drenched in the fuel of rural versus urban, poor versus wealthy, educated versus uneducated, able versus disabled, Christian versus Muslim versus Jewish, religious versus non-religious. We do not know how to cultivate community between these camps, and we don't know how to fight to win against them. We are a culture that is stuck between its grand aspirations of liberty and a harmful tribalistic nature. And this impasse makes me wonder deeply about what we are doing as people of faith. It makes me ask why we are here on a Sunday doing this and not in an office building on a weekday trying to do something else. Then I remember, if I take time to consider myself in the context of all this and how I and you are all interconnected, I remember, we are human. The brokenness that exists in our world is entirely human. It is not about policy, it is not about theory, it is not academic. People, actual, human, feeling, flesh and blood people, feel, no, are, broken. They are afraid of being even more broken, and the last thing they want to hear is someone's theory on how to fix it someday. They want a pill or a drug or sex or power or money, something that will take the pain of their brokenness away now, even if it is just temporary and even if it is just on the surface. 
And so I think the current state of things is why I'm so drawn to Rosh Hashanah this year. Something seems really important about having an intentional time to reflect on one's humanity and one's place in the equation of life. It is one of the reasons I'm always grateful for having an interfaith focus in my work. It opens me up to the possibilities of learning from traditions that I may not follow. I want to share another quote from Rabbi Reuven Haver and his book, Entering the High Holy Days. Few have prized the gift of life as fervently as the Jews. Perhaps the precarious nature of Jewish existence, the history of exiles and defeats, the memories of auto de fe and pogroms, of Cossacks and the Holocaust have taught us to value something that others may take for granted. But it is more than that. A life-affirming attitude underlies Judaism. I'll be honest, I want that. In this moment of uncertainty in our politics and in the uncertainty that continues to unfold in our everyday life with random shootings, increasing numbers of people experiencing homelessness, skyrocketing addiction, and the host of things that seem the opposite of life-affirming, I want something that says, hold on, don't let go of this precious gift of community and shared existence. Don't retreat to the one-sided lean-to that only protects you from the wind in one direction. Find the big tent where there is protection from the elements from all sides. The lesson I take from reading and learning about Rosh Hashanah and the High Holy Days and this time leading to this most sacred day of Yom Kippur a day of judgment and atonement is this. First, you must remember. Remember, you and I are imperfectly human. Remember that what you do will live beyond you. One might say it will be inscribed in the book of God. Atonement is not a prize. It is reconciliation. Atonement is the act of being in right relationship with humanity at one meant. This level of humility is difficult for us to acknowledge, but what other choice do we have? Will we take up arms against people who insist that life begins at conception? Will we take up arms against people who believe that homosexuality is the incarnation of evil? Will we wish that the president and his cronies were dead because of the sometimes lethal harm they have caused by refusing refugees and asylum seekers? That is not right relationship. Seeking to limit or harm those who you would disagree with no matter how much you may disagree with them, is not what we were put here to do. Although I may feel that it is ludicrous to have to argue over reparations for my enslaved ancestors, I will not seek to inflict harm on those who would obstruct that justice. 
I choose to affirm life at all costs. In the midst of this morass, in the darkest place of feeling abandoned, when everything collapses in grief around us, we can find north on the compass by taking the time to remember that we are connected by our shared humanity, not by Sean Hannity. But in order to do so, first we must remember our flaws, our shortcomings, our failings, all the ways in which we are broken and the ways in which we have broken ourselves. Only then can we find at one meant with ourselves. Just maybe, if we convince, can convince a few others in this country, in this world, to stop and remember their humanity, just maybe we have a chance. May it be so.